0: Welcome to the Best Place to Work podcast, where we promise actionable tips from real business leaders on building amazing work cultures. Not tips from Google, but tips from the trenches of real world businesses just like yours. Today we have Brandon Phipps, the CEO of Academic Works in Austin, Texas. They provide an all-in-one platform that connects college students to scholarships and universities a way to provide that feedback to scholarship donors. Uh, They were started in 2010 and they have about 50 employees. Uh, One thing that Brandon mentions is how the mission of Academic Works, of helping students get scholarships and universities maximize their donor dollars, has been such a huge driver to their culture and recruiting the right people and getting people motivated for the mission. Uh, Let's jump right into the interview with Brandon. Today we have uh, Brandon Phipps on the podcast. He's from Academic Works, um, which is in Austin, Texas, which helps people find academic scholarships. Um, Is that right, Brandon? That's
1: correct. Yeah, Yeah, we work with uh, colleges and universities to more efficiently match students to uh, institutional scholarship funds.
0: Okay. And you guys got started back in 2010. Um, Since then, you've won multiple awards for Best Place to Work, Um, Inc. Inc, Inc 5000, I believe, too. Um, And just tell me a little bit about how you guys got started, why you guys got started.
1: Sure. Um, Our entire management team, we've got a lot of experience in uh, education technology, and we were looking for another uh, challenge to tackle. And uh, we started researching different issues in higher education. Scholarships came to the forefront. Uh, We found that there was a lot of institutions out there where Uh, They had multiple, some hundreds, sometimes even thousands of scholarship funds, uh, all with different application criteria, different application processes. Uh, It was very confusing for students. And as a result, a lot of institutions weren't fully utilizing all of the scholarship aid that they had available to them. So we set out in 2010 uh, to build a solution specifically for uh, institutions of higher education and large foundations. Went live with our first few clients in 2011. And uh, we've been blown and gone ever since. We work with about 525 uh, different uh, clients around the country and provide a system that uh, imports data from their campus student record system, matches that with the student scholarship application, and automatically applies them to everything they're eligible for. So we simplify the process for students, Uh, we help the institutions improve their uh, scholarship fund utilization, and then also collect thank you letters from the students that can be shared either online uh, or via print with the uh, with the donors that are
0: sponsoring the awards. Oh, that's very cool. I didn't realize that feedback loop, which is really Yeah, that
1: feedback loop is there, and it really helps drive the, the cycle of giving for the donors. So uh, one of the fortunate things about the uh, industry and the market that we serve is for prospective employees, it's very, very easy for them to get behind the mission. Uh, everybody... Uh, at our company just about went to college. Most of them didn't realize when they were in college that there was all this uh, financial aid available to them, and they just never applied for it. So making that process much more transparent for the institutions that we serve, uh, simplifying it, especially for those first-generation college students that don't have a parent or a guide to take them through that application process.
0: Yeah, that, no, definitely. I, I mean, that was one of the things that, um, you know, the, the employee feedback that you guys have, like on Glassdoor and, and those areas, it's like, that's one thing that people identify with is the mission. You know, they, they're excited about it. They're generally motivated by it. Um, tell me about, along those lines, tell me about the initial growth of the company and attracting the initial people and getting traction around that mission and how you guys got initial sales and all of that.
1: Sure. Uh, A lot of it just revolved around doing very explicit research uh, in the higher education institutions. Uh, So we did over 200 interviews with colleges, universities, and foundations around the country to identify what their challenges were uh, that they faced as it related to scholarship management. And a lot of those early folks that we talked with wound up becoming some of our initial customers. They had such deep burning pain. A few of them were in the process of building an in-house system that they threw away when they realized that there was a vendor that could provide something uh, more commercialized and off the shelf and that they would have input into the development engineering process so the uh, uh, co-founders we all worked actively in the business during that market research phase and as you know when you're very very small time four or five people you're doing a little bit of everything uh, you know sales marketing uh, customer relations up until the first 30 or 40 clients and we were fortunate enough to uh, have a pretty good rolodex from prior companies that we'd worked with to get our first uh, core set of employees uh, from other local uh, companies that we would worked with in the past. So they already understood the industry, they understood the business. One of the fundamental parts of what we do is uh, we provide a, a product, a software a service to the clients that we work with, but uh, it's, these clients are initiating change within institutions of higher ed and, and foundations, um, uh, those institutions, uh, have been doing the same thing the same way for many, many years now. Uh, so we really do everything we possibly can to support those agents of change. Uh, we have a very big client services component that serves as a, uh, referral base for our customers, uh, where when you ask a client why they love academic works, a lot of it relates back to the service we provide. And uh, one of our core tenants, one of our core values is, uh, being obsessed with the customer experience. And that goes every, uh, everywhere from the client services group, the folks that implement new clients, our sales uh, team going out and doing outreach with existing customers when they're on the road. Even our engineers go out and visit with customers face to face, see how they're interacting with the solution. And that's allowed us uh, really to have a very strong customer focus across the company uh, that, that most people find very attractive.
0: Is that something you guys did from the beginning, try to get everyone in the company involved with seeing how the product's actually used, seeing what the emotional response is from the customer, seeing like the success that they have? Did you guys know that going in like day one, you wanted to have everyone touching that or being involved in that? Yeah, we want to have
1: everyone touching that experience. So we're fortunate in being a small company. We're about 47 employees, very flat organizational structure. I still take calls from clients on a regular basis to do customer visits, as does the president and general counsel, who's my business partner. Uh, if the phone rings, uh, doesn't matter who it is, they're going to they're going to pick up the phone and try as best as possible to address any issues that crop up. Because in higher education and uh, nonprofits, uh, it's not a situation where you've got a Coke and Pepsi or a FedEx and UPS. When something works, they want to tell their peers, uh, and that's really helped drive our success and, and made our uh, sales process probably a lot less expensive. It would be uh, in a different type of market uh, because customers are willing to share their stories and success with their peers. Right. So yeah. that, uh, that kind of core tenet, that core value of um, being obsessed with the customer experience is really, really important to us uh, across the company because it's what drives our, our growth.
0: Yeah, no, that and that was one of my questions is how do you get people behind that mission? You know, because that was a, a reoccurring theme and a lot of what your employees said is that they identify with the mission. But it sounds like that's your core, you know, tactic, if you will, to get people behind that mission is to see it actually play out. Um, how do you do? I know another um, thing that people struggle with, um, at least as startups, is is goal setting and alignment with different employees. You know, especially as you're growing from zero to now forty seven. Um, tell me about that process and how you guys how that's changed maybe through since 2010 to, to now.
1: Um, a couple of years ago, we actually implemented a framework um, we use it's called EOS, uh, and it basically uh, helps the entire company get on the same page where we're all rowing in the same direction. Uh, so with EOS, we've got a lot, lot of different uh, reporting infrastructure uh, that occurs all the way down from you know employee level up through the executive team. Uh, with key metrics, key numbers that we're all held accountable to, that we're all watching very closely. Uh, We do a weekly uh, newsletter to the entire company that includes, uh, you know, what's happening around the company, uh, comments and feedback from existing customers, what's engineering doing this week, what are their goals, uh, what are the big accomplishments from sales, what customers went live last week, uh, to keep everybody on the same page. We also do quarterly updates where we share a lot of information that – and other companies I've worked for, they simply don't feel comfortable sharing. But for us, we feel it's uh, really pivotal for us to provide as much information to the entire team as possible. So we share details on strategy, uh, full financial disclosure on how we did that quarter. Everybody, every department puts up their quarterly goals. And then we go back through department by department each quarter and say, how do we do against those goals? So nothing gets lost in the shuffle. We try and set them high. Sometimes we make them. Uh, sometimes we don't. But if there, we don't, if there's a reason that we're all accountable. Uh, to each other for those goals.
0: Great. We're going to take a short break here for sponsor break, then we'll be right back. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Waypoint. If you want to get your team aligned and you want to go from herding cats to a well-oiled machine, and if you're sick of the annual review process, then check out Waypoint. It's an elegant tool built for leaders just like you to help you invest in your people and unlock their true potential. Head over to waypointhq.com to learn more. So, so going back to the the kind of um, best practices that you guys use, um, how did you how did you arrive at some of those tactics that you use? Like, how did you how did you how did you um, end up with EOS? How did you know to day one really involve everyone in the company with the customer and really implement that? Uh, where did that come from?
1: Sure. I mean, we always had a very strong culture because we had a group of people and the founders that knew each other. Uh, but one of the things that uh, EOS helped, and there's a multiple multitude of different frameworks out there that you could use. Uh, with EOS, we really looked to identify who our prototypical employees should be. So we looked across our company and said, who is it within the company that we love to work with, uh, that does a great job both with customers or in their day-to-day activities? And then we went through and tried to identify words that basically described those employees and look for commonality across the type of people that we want to bring into the organization. So with that, we were able to identify the core values associated with what an Academic Works employee has to be in order to be successful here. Uh, Being obsessed with the customer experience is one of those. Uh, Being engaged and being uh, kind of respectful. So those are the three. There's only three. They sound fairly basic, but you'd be very surprised in terms of how many people in the interview process don't necessarily meet those core values, those core criteria. Uh, When we have somebody come in an interview and this has happened uh, in the past, we'll have candidates where one might have a little bit more experience, uh, but the other one has the experience to do the job as well. Uh, But that second uh, candidate just uh, has a lot – is more inquisitive about what we do. You can tell they're behind the mission. They're excited about it. They understand uh, the value that we provide to this, to students, to donors, to the campus community, for the institutions we serve. And time and time again, when we've gone around the room and asked after those interviews have occurred, who do we want within the organization? It's almost unanimous uh, that they're going to pick that second person, the person that has that level of engagement and focus on the customer experience. Um, and so just getting that... Uh, that definition down and communicating that constantly, both in our quarterly meetings, our weekly newsletter, in our hiring, in our performance evaluations and performance reviews is, is really, really critical.
0: Yeah. Why so that's really interesting you say that sounds like there's a couple core fundamental principles that in theory are very basic in how you run your business. Um, I know you had multiple gigs before this, um, and sounds like your co founders as well. I know you guys tout on your website 50 plus years experience. Um, in all that experience, having arrived now at what seems like a simplistic way to run your business, but is very focused and disciplined, what would you say is one of the biggest um, things that maybe entrepreneurs or f- uh, co founders or whatever do wrong? um and and in in how they manage or build culture that maybe you've kind of honed in on to say this is you know this is one way that maybe i i failed to implement that even though it's a a very you know simple um theory you know of management does that make sense
1: yeah um i think culture is isn't something that you can um it's not aspirational it's not something that you can predefine uh it's something that has to exist And then you're basically just putting a definition around it. Uh, And I do feel fortunate in that we have been self-funded and bootstrapped uh, from inception. So we were able to, I think, in a much more organic means, allow that culture to develop before we put a definition to it. Uh, There's a lot of other companies out there when you're private equity backed, you're venture capital backed, where you're hiring dozens and dozens of people all in a very similar timeline. So you don't really have as much opportunity to kind of sit back and see and let that culture develop. You almost have to dictate it. And I think in some cases that can be a big, pretty big negative.
0: Yeah. So it's almost hire slow and and do these intentional things and let it develop. Don't try to force it almost. The business
1: has been very deliberate in terms of our growth. Uh, we don't have to go out and hire dozens of people. Uh, we've grown probably not as quickly as we could have, but... Uh, overall, uh, our customer satisfaction rating, we measure a net promoter score, which is really one of our core metrics, you know, would would your customers refer you to their peers? Uh, we've maintained between a 99 to 100% uh, net promoter score since inception. And all of that, again, bakes back to the people that we bring in, having everybody focused on the mission. And its it does change over time if you're not careful. So... When everyone starts out, you've got eight to ten core people, we you know that if you don't sign that next customer and they're not happy and they don't get to full implementation, that the company's probably not going to be around. Uh, but once you have some success and you get to where you're profitable, uh, you've got 40 or 50 people, you're now bringing people in the organization that don't have that same startup mentality. So you have to have some core tenets that you can really hang your hat on.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um... I want to jump in now to a section we normally do, which is like employee feedback. Um, unfortunately, there wasn't a lot of negative feedback for you guys <laughs> because you just have such a high rating on the glass door. Um, one of the things that I wanted to touch on, though, is um, people say they love the mission. Uh, one of the cons was upper mobility, which is pretty common in smaller companies. It's not like you have this you know, ladder that people can move up. Mm-hmm. Um, have you guys noticed that as being a big detriment um, for academic works? And then how have you kind of addressed it? um, as you guys have grown? Sure.
1: Um, I mean, I would debate that a little bit. I think if for people that have been here for a year or two, uh, they may not have seen change in their position title as they're moving up. But if you look back, uh, three years, I don't think there's anyone in our, that came in in a services capacity or an implementation capacity that has not had a chance to move into a different role within the company. So when there's a lot of, uh, Areas that are covered by one person that as uh, you grow and evolve as an organization, they split, they split, they split again, and there's a much more opportunity for specialization. So we've had people uh, who started in our client services group, they're now in product management or over in our um, service, service engineer where they're doing more uh, high level type uh, interactions or they've moved over into the implementation group. So there are some room for there is some room for upward mobility uh, within the company, uh, and we do post all of our opportunities internally first before we post them externally.
0: Okay, great. Um, no, it sounds like that's I mean it's kind of a nature of the beast in a lot of ways, but you guys are taking action steps to do that by creating uh, you know levels of responsibility. Um, tell me a little bit about one of the things I, that I, I mentioned or I read in the Glassdoor feedback was um, anonymous surveys, and they actually liked that. Um, a lot of the employees liked that. Um, that's, that can be a philosophical difference, either anonymous or non-anonymous for surveys and feedback from your team. Um, can you speak to that and you know maybe tools you guys use for that, um, what your views are on that and how valuable that's been um, for the organization?
1: Yeah, it's it's very valuable. Um, we do uh, employee surveys on a quarterly basis, and we do take that feedback to heart. So our exec team sits down and reviews all of the survey results across uh, departments, um, and we're looking at you know what benefits do we offer as a small company? When we started out, there was very limited benefit pool that we could draw from, and we now have probably benefits that are And compensation that's competitive, or maybe even above a lot of the other companies uh, in the area. And as we're adding those benefits in, we get a lot of feedback on the employee survey. Um, I don't think there's anything when we see it in the employee survey that's shocking to us. Uh, We, as a startup, you know, cash was king. Uh, We were in, you know, B-class office space. We actually just made the move to brand new office space. And that was probably one of the bigger complaints that we saw from our employees was, hey, we're on top of each other. (laughs) But through those quarterly meetings and profit sharing, everybody's participating in the profitability of the company. It's pretty easy to explain, hey, this is why we're here right now. Uh, and when we can make that move, we will, which uh, was a big accomplishment for everybody when we made that that jump.
0: That's great. Um, goes back again to your transparency, um, you know, mindset of really involving everyone so they know the why, not only on the mission, but then the operational side of the business, which is, I think, really, really good. Um and I,
1: and I do think uh, you know one thing that's come up previously um, in terms of our business and culture. There's a lot of companies that uh, try to you know what what price can you put on a great culture? What price you know what what is the return on investment for investing in your culture, uh, and investing in uh, your your services aspect? And for us, it actually is pretty easy to to measure. We're a software as a service company. It's a subscription based service. Clients can turn us off pretty much any time they would like. Uh, we have a 99% customer retention rate. Um, we're releasing new products that customers adopt largely based on trust uh, that we've built up over the years. Uh, so it's fairly easy for us to measure and look at that Net Promoter Score and see that 100%. See how it ties into customer success and the growth of the company, and tie all of that back to, like I said, the core values and the culture of the company.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, Brandon, what is one thing that you would do differently um, going back to 2010, um, knowing what you know now, six years in, um, when you started the company?
1: Um, that, that framework that we put in place uh, that basically uh, helps us determine what are we going to measure on any given quarter, uh, how are we going to organize our um, metrics of success, uh, that's something we probably would have implemented sooner. I don't think it would have been appropriate to do straight out of the gate because a lot of it does have to do with definition of culture, Uh, but certainly something we could have done a couple of years prior that definitely would have helped uh, accelerate and eliminated some of the pain points we had along the way.
0: Yeah. What do you hope for the future for Academic Works?
1: Uh, We're going to continue to release uh, value-added products to the customer base that we serve. Um, Our purpose is uh, solving complex problems that matter. Uh, so looking for other areas within higher education where there's a complex problem that hasn't been touched yet by technology, a lot of what we did early on, what differentiated us from some of the other solutions that were in the market, was tackled some big challenges around uh, data manipulation, uh, data management, being able to import millions and millions of student data records, compare them against hundreds of thousands of scholarship opportunities, and provide perfect matching across all of the customers that we serve. And there's a lot of other opportunities. Uh, in a cloud environment to serve the needs of higher education and be able to return back and automate some of these business processes uh, for the betterment of both the students and the donors and the campus.
0: That's awesome. Hey, well, thanks so much for being on. I really appreciate it. No, thanks for taking the time. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening. If you found the show valuable, please give us some love on iTunes. But if there's any reason that you would rate us less than five stars, please let me know shoot me a note at mike at bestplacetoworkpodcast.com. Thanks.